You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you guys. Uh, thank you, Bernardo, for what you shared. And we're going to miss you a lot, um, but we'll come visit you in San Diego. Um, and then uh, thank you, worship team. Sikuri uh, Wana is one of my favorite songs. And it was it, back in the college ministry, it was the only song they'd let me lead. Um, because I'm from Africa. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but uh, I love that song. I, I actually got to witness, I was down in South Africa in 2008, and we were around this big bonfire, and there were a couple um, disciples, some, uh, what, what language is it written in? Swahili. Swahili. There, were, there were some, uh, there were some disciples who were fluent in Swahili, and they were singing. It was four, four people, and they were singing, and it was like the most beautiful version that I have ever heard. You guys were close, close, but, uh, but they, were, they were raised on that song. Um, but anyway, I'm really grateful to be here. Uh, has, is anyone feeling like summer is already crazy, and, and you're just like, you're, you're spinning your wheels, you're trying to keep up? I, when I was a kid, I don't remember summers being like this. Um, I know they were busy. I know we had sleepovers all the time and stuff. So the busyness was there, but I don't remember feeling stress. I don't remember the anxiety that came with summer. Um, and I'm definitely feeling that now uh, with three kids. And I want to just give you a, a little snapshot of uh, some things that have happened since last Sunday. So... So my little girl, she's almost two, um, I, was, I was getting her ready to, to go get the kids in the shower, and she peed on our bathroom floor while I had just taken her diaper off. She peed on the floor. So I left my three-year-old, and I went to like, take her and put her in the shower, and then I was cleaning it up, and then I get my three-year-old, and we go to the shower, and my daughter has pooped in the shower. And, and so then uh, another time, yeah, that was unfortunate. Uh, another time, Levi, our three-month-old, uh, that's right, three-year-old and t- almost two-year-old and three-month-old, um, he peed on me. And that's not common because I'm a very fast diaper changer. And so he's only done it one other time. And so he got me the other day. I was like, shoot, we both got to go take a shower now. Um, I almost got ran over by a car when I was out skating. Um, yeah, that almost happened. Uh, Zeke went missing in Big Five, um, so I I was I was saying let's go over here and he was following me and then Carrie booked it, she just ran through the store so I'm trying to chase her and I finally get her and Zeke isn't behind me, and so I go back to the baseballs where we just were uh, hanging out and he wasn't there and so I'm like I'm panicking but I'm like calm carrying and I had a coffee and two waters in one hand and Carrie in the other and I'm trying I'm circling the store trying to find Zeke. And so I'm calling out his name, nothing. And then finally I'm like, oh, I hope he didn't go outside. And so I'm about to walk out the front door. And he goes, boo! <laughs> and he was like, he was hiding behind the kayak at the front of the store. So he and I are having a little heart-to-heart talk on the sidewalk. And Carrie books it into the parking lot. And luckily there was like an old couple walking between the two cars that she ran in between. So that was, uh, I was panicking. I was like, we just need to get home. <laughs> in a padded room. Um, 
Some other things happened. Carrie uh, dumped out a full box of Cheerios right before we were having some friends come over for dinner. Uh, it goes on and on. So this was since last Sunday. And, and so, needless to say, there were moments of stress and anxiety in the last week. Uh, maybe you could, you could one-up me or, or ten-up me. You're like, that's nothing. You don't know what my week was like. But there's anxiety. There's stress. And we're going to be talking about peace today. And so, in, in the last month and a half, we went through this midweek series with the teens on the names of God. And some of our teens got to share uh, about like a name of God that stood out to them, and they did the lesson. And uh, there was a lesson that I did that apparently I needed to do again, because I needed to learn more about peace. So we're going to be talking about Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is Peace. And with the names of God, you know, you, you guys probably have a nickname or a few nicknames that, uh, that you have uh, kind of grown up with. And I forgot to start my timer. Here we go. Um, I took a few minutes off. Don't worry. Um, so, and these names, they, they mean something, whether it's a time in your life, a significant time that you got a nickname, or a special friend that gave you a nickname. These nicknames tell stories about us. They get to, you get to know someone better when you hear their nicknames. A few of my nicknames are Dust Bunny. Yep, that's my wife. D-Money. A few friends call me D-Money. Uh, I had some roommates that called me Big Daddy D. And so I get my kids to call me that now. I had a friend call me Dustina because on my ticket it said Dustin A. Peckman, but the A was right next to the first name, so he just called me Dustina from then on. My dad always called me boy. I was just boy. White chocolate. So there you go. There's some names. Um, but as we went through this series, these names really stood out to me when I was, when I was off praying or spending time in God's word because I, I got to know God a lot more intimately. And I could address him rather than just Lord, Father, God, like I understood different parts of him because of these names. And so Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. This is the topic for today. Oh, there we go. Thanks. <laughs> um, so turn over to Judges chapter 6. We're going to look at a guy named Gideon. So first we're going to look at a story from Judges about Gideon and then we're going to jump to the New Testament and get some practicals. So Gideon, he along with the other Israelites, they are currently in their circumstances, they are oppressed by the Midianites. And so whenever they grow crops, whenever they try to raise livestock, the Midianites come in and ravage the land, take their crops take their livestock, kill them. And so they are just trying to survive on whatever they have left that the Midianites haven't destroyed, ravaged, taken. And so these are the current circumstances that Gideon is in. And a lot of the Israelites, they've just like, they've just kind of abandoned ship. They've run to the mountains to hide in caves. They're just trying to survive under the, the uh, oppression of these Midianites. And so in verse 11, we arrive at Gideon. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 11, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. You're not supposed to thresh wheat in a wine press. 
But these were his circumstances. They were dire. He needed to survive. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? When they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Uh, Pardon me, my Lord. One last thing, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? Don't you know that my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my own family? The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So we have in verse 13, if God is with me, why has all this happened? We ask this, don't we? Gideon was feeling, why am I forced into hiding and just surviving day to day if you are really with me? Why are my people oppressed? Why aren't you blessing us and protecting us and saving us like you did our ancestors? And we raise these same questions. Why is this happening to me? God, if you really exist, why is this happening? Or if you really exist, why is this happening to somebody I love? Or why is this happening in the world we live in? Why am I losing my job when we're just trying to make it month to month? Why is this health issue continually coming up in my life, in my spouse's life, in my kid's life? Why are there mass shootings more frequently than than we'd ever like to see? Why does this happen? If you are really here, if you're really with us, then why, God? And so God, he addresses this this question with this. Go in the strength you have. What an interesting way to address these questions and concerns and kind of anxiety that Gideon raises. Go in the strength you have. And Gideon says, but how can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest and I'm the least in my family. You get this sense of fear and anxiety, confusion, like did... Did you find the right person? Do you know I'm, I'm Gideon? All probably, uh, these were all probably things that he was feeling. And he, I, I get the sense that he was not at peace at all in his circumstances. He was focused on his misfortunes. He got dealt a bad hand and he was holding on to it tight. If you're a poker player, he, he had that 2-7 off suit. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm so mad I got this, but I'm not letting it go. He was focused on his circumstances and he didn't have peace because his peace was based on what was going on around him. When God is not our peace, we settle for less than what God intended. When we focus on ourselves and what's happening to us and around us, we miss God's plan altogether. God doesn't call us to be perfect Or when we're perfect, we can then come to him and be used by him. He calls us to love him and walk with him and have peace in him. God tells Gideon, go in the strength you have. Go as you are right now. You might feel like tapping out, like you just want to surrender under these miserable circumstances that you're in. I'm just going to focus on surviving. Forget about thriving. 
I just want to make it to tomorrow. I can't handle serving in another capacity. I am done. I have nothing left. I have way too much on my plate. And God says, perfect. Go in that strength. And then in verse 16, Gideon, again, we can relate to Gideon. All of these things we have felt, right? These questions that that he brings up. And I thought about like a bump in a marriage, uh, an argument or, you know, uh, some tension that you have with your spouse. And doesn't it start typically with something small? Yeah? Am I I off there? (laughs) It starts with something small, small usually. And then if it doesn't get talked about, then something else happens that wouldn't have been a big deal. But because you haven't talked about this thing, that becomes a big deal as well. And then this becomes a big deal. And then when you're finally able to talk about it or when your spouse is finally like, okay, what's wrong? Talk to me. You already have this huge case against them. And it started with something small. And this is kind of what I see in Gideon. He has this huge case, like all these excuses, like, no, it can't be me. I'm the weakest. I'm the least. How, how are you with me? I don't see you. So he has this case against God. And with one phrase, I wish I had one phrase that I could just kind of address all of Catherine's, you know, if, if she has stuff against me, I could address all of them at once. That would be awesome. God does that right here. With one phrase, he addresses all of Gideon's stress, anxiety, and doubt. I will be with you. I will be with you. Can you remember a time when you felt anxious, confused, frustrated like Gideon, and then you read a scripture like this, or you were reminded that God is in fact with you? When Zeke doesn't want to try something new, we were at a birthday party yesterday, he didn't want to go down the slide. He started to throw a fit. And I kept reminding him, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk up the slide with you. I'm going to go down the slide with you. Finally, when he, when he understood that, that I was going to be with him, he was okay to go down the slide. It's the same with us. God is with you. Whenever you see a phrase like this from God, I will be with you. God's intention is to drive out all anxiety, all fear, all confusion from your mind, from your life. Your strength, your peace, your ability to handle whatever lies ahead is not about you. It's about God being with you. Go in your strength or maybe your weakness because God is with you. So jump, jump down to verse 17. This is Gideon. And I didn't put, I forgot to mention, I didn't put this scripture. So you guys are going to have to turn in your Bibles or your phones. Sorry to make you uh, work. <laughs> um, Old school, that's right. Uh, so in verse 17, it says, Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. And jump down to verse 21. So he goes and he gets a sacrifice and, and brings the sacrifice back. And in verse 21, Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat, and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Kind of in in fear, and and God says, Peace, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. Sometimes we need to be told that. In our circumstances, no matter how extreme or light they may be, we can get this feeling like, 
I can't do this. I'm just going to die. I can't handle another situation. I just want to, you know, curl up in my bed. And God says, peace, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. He could have chosen a lot of different names. This is the first time God has called this, at least recorded in the Bible. The Lord is peace. He could have said, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my protector. The Lord is my provider. All of those would have been relevant to his circumstances, but he chose the Lord is peace. And this word shalom, Jehovah shalom, shalom comes from the root word shalom. And shalom means to be full, to be complete, to be perfect. And so shalom is not an absence of conflict in your life. It's not an absence of war. But it's this completeness, this fullness, this perfection that we can only get in God. Gideon's circumstances had not changed. He was still in in the circumstances of being oppressed by the Midianites. But his focus and his thoughts had shifted from himself and his circumstances to God. His perspective was, God is with me. Stress, it fractures us. Anxiety breaks us. Confusion and uncertainty, they can pull us apart. So with this feeling of being complete for quite possibly the first time in his life, where he felt this sense of shalom, this is when he calls up to God and says, the Lord is peace. So we have this man Gideon, who we can all probably relate to. A man fractured and broken by his circumstantial anxiety, now feeling complete, at peace as he stands in the presence with his eyes on Jehovah Shalom. So now we're going to transition to a guy named Paul in Philippians. And Paul, he he too is under some pretty difficult circumstances. And yet we're going to read in in Philippians chapter 4 some practicals on how we can live within this peace, how we can live and feel this completeness that only God provides. So turn over to Philippians chapter 4. This one I did put up there for you. (laughs) Okay, Philippians chapter 4. This scripture has come up probably five times since last Sunday in various lessons, uh, just in conversation. And so... uh, God is telling me that I need to share it with you guys more. I think Brian even referred to it last week or something. This is a great, great scripture. So Paul is in prison when he writes this letter. He's in prison, and that wasn't the first difficult situation he encountered. Like, oh man, prison, this is, you know, this is tough. I didn't know this was going to happen to me, God. Man, he had endured so much more than that. And yet we, we pick up in verse 4. And these are not the words of someone in prison, right? This blows my mind. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Can you guys say that? I will rejoice in the Lord always. Is that true? (laughs) No, how can he say this? Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Hear that again? The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, 
with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Amen. So a man who is in prison writes these words. Whatever your current circumstances are, I don't think any of us are in prison, right? You might feel like you're in prison in your circumstances, but we're not in prison. And he writes these words in Paul's joy in verse 4. It doesn't come from his circumstances, but it comes from this confidence in God. That God is in control. That God is with me. And in verse 5, he talks about gentleness towards all. You know, when I am anxious and when I am stressed, I am not a gentle person. I am harsh to my kids. I react harshly to my wife. When I'm feeling the weight of my circumstances, I am not gentle. But this gentleness reminds me of Jesus when he spoke to the, the woman who was caught in adultery. You don't have to be harsh and take matters into your own hands and control them. You have this gentleness knowing that God will take up your cause, that he'll fight for you. So you can be gentle, stress-free, patient, because you know that God is near. Verse 7, I'm going to get to three practicals in just a moment, but verse 7, it talks about this, um, this peace that surpasses understanding. It's too wonderful to even describe it. Have you ever looked at a sunset and you're like, man, I don't even know what I would say about it. I've been like, I've, you know, prayed with people and like trying to describe the sunset and it just sounds foolish. I don't even come close. Or maybe you try to take a picture. I see Claire over here and Claire Leong and you try to take a picture of like some landscape, some beautiful uh, view that you see and you look at your camera and you're like, man, that's not even close. Delete, like I'm not even going to try. Or maybe, husbands, you think back to your wedding day and you picture your wife coming down the aisle and trying to describe your wife's beauty in that moment would be futile, right? You're not even going to come close to describing how beautiful she is to you in that moment. This is what peace is like from God. It surpasses our understanding. Don't even try to explain it. You just have to experience it. And then it goes on to say, this kind of peace will guard your hearts and your minds. And this word guard, it's a military term. And it means a couple different things. The first is this guarding or protection to prevent hostile invasion. Hey, that sounds cool. I want this peace to protect my mind from Satan invading it. 
But then the, the flip side of that, it also means this uh, guarding a city that's been taken captive, guarding the et- exits so the people inside the city can't get out. And so then you think about Satan, how he infiltrates our mind and we're trying to get out of these thoughts. We're trying to get out of these accusations and he's, he's keeping us locked in there. This word guard, Satan can use it against us. But when we are at peace in God, our minds and our hearts will be guarded. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Bernardo already read it. God wants you to hear this scripture today. It says, I don't have it up there, but do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. With these two scriptures, I have one thing to say. What you think about matters. What you think about matters. And this will lead us into three practicals that Paul gives to us to help us remain whole in God's peace, regardless of your circumstances. The first is thinking. Thinking. The second will be thanking. And the third, loving. You thought I was going to go TH on you, didn't I? No, loving. Thinking, thanking, loving. So in verse 8, it talks about thinking about what is true, noble, and right. And these words, they refer to doctrine. Think about God. Think about Jesus. Think about eternity. Go to the Bible. Think about what you're reading in the Bible. You know, when we, when we feel stressed and anxious, at least for me, maybe you can relate, I want to go sit on the couch and turn on Netflix for three hours, maybe grab some popcorn, maybe grab a beer, and turn my mind off. Maybe go down to the beach and tune everything out and, you know, get a tan or something. But, but we are trained to not want to think when we're stressed or anxious. We want to check out. But Paul says quite the opposite. Think about God. Think about Jesus, about eternity. And this Greek word for think, it's more about dwelling and meditating on it. Drill down deeper and deeper and deeper. Don't just, you know, kind of a passing thought. Oh, yeah, God is good. And then go. But drill down deeper into who God is. Think about God. And you will, you will get at least one step closer into this peace that surpasses understanding. The next, oh, there's thinking. The next is thinking. Verse 6, jump up. To verse 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You see, you have anxiety in one corner of the ring, and you have thanksgiving in the other. And I guarantee you that thanksgiving will always defeat anxiety. If you go to God with thanksgiving, even if you are under the most horrific circumstances, if you start thanking God for your life, for the little things, the big things, for what he's done in the past to get you to that point, I guarantee you, you will have this, more of this completion, this perfection. You won't be fractured by your anxiety. 
So as you talk to God, thank him. It's easy to go to God like Gideon and kind of start complaining or raising these, these doubts. But thank God. Thank him. I want to read a, a quick little excerpt from a Timothy Keller lesson. I love listening to Timothy Keller. Uh, but he says, imagine what the disciples, what Jesus' disciples and his friends and family, those he healed, thought as he hung on the cross. How can anything good come from this? He was a good man. He loved like no one else. He healed many. He was patient. He was honest. Yet now he's dead. Why did this horrific thing happen? Yet they didn't know that, at this, that this was the greatest thing God would ever do for us. They might have thought, I can't believe that God is going to bring anything good out of this. And yet you're looking straight at the greatest thing God has ever done towards the redemption of the world. That's the prime example of what God is doing in our lives every day. Those circumstances that make us say, how could this happen? The timing couldn't get any worse. Imagine, I want you to imagine this. Imagine God saying, when a child of mine makes a request, I always give them what they would, would have asked for if they knew everything I know. When a child of mine makes a request, I always give them what they would have asked for if they knew everything I know. And to the degree that you believe that, you're going to have peace. And to give you an example, 14 years ago, I was, I was in the midst of praying about and getting excited to start dating my first girlfriend. I was so pumped. I had known this girl for a long time and built this friendship and we were 16 years old and I was within a few months, Chelsea knows this, <laughs> from our youth corps a long time ago. But I was so excited to date her. But if I had, if I had known then what I know now about my wife and our marriage, I wouldn't have been praying for that girl. I would have been praying for Catherine all along. And there are so many situations like that where you have that light bulb moment like, oh, this is what you intended with all of this, God. This is, this is how you were guiding me. I was confused for a while, but now I see. If we knew what God knew, man, we'd be praying for different things. But God knows that, and he works through all of that. Do you have some anxiety or stress right now in your life? Some confusion, maybe that what Gideon asked. And if you're with me, why is this happening? Take it to God and thank him for your circumstances. Thank him for the life that you have. And, and finally, oh, there's my wife. I forgot I put that picture in there. There's on our wedding day. Um, the last is loving. And so the last part of verse 8, it talks about the true, noble, and right. And then we have the lovely, the admirable, the excellent and praiseworthy. And all of these words, they, they bring about attraction, right? Whatever's lovely. Oh, we're attracted to the lovely things. We're attracted to the admirable things, the praiseworthy and the excellent things. It's not just enough to think about these things, but to also love them. We love things. When we love things that can change, we will not have peace. Only love for that which cannot change will bring us peace. And who is that? God. Even under the worst circumstances, 
There is only one thing that if you love it supremely, nothing will steal your peace away. And that is the presence of God, the beauty of God, the face of God. He is lovely and God alone is the place of peace which nothing can disturb. So these three things Paul talks about later in that passage about this secret. This secret of being content. And his secret of peace is thinking, thanking, and loving. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. The secret is found in thinking about, thanking, and loving God. And when I look at Paul, when I look at this man in prison who has endured so many tough circumstances, I think of a rock kind of just offshore that you can kind of see it when the, when the tide uh, goes away or, or when a wave comes in and then, and then uh, kind of recedes a bit and you see that rock poke up again. And every wave that bashes it, you're like, man, how is that rock still standing? That is, that is quite a bit of force coming behind every single wave, day after day, year after year, and that rock remains. And I, I view Paul like that rock, like one of those rocks. And any of us, when we, are, when we are standing in the peace that only God provides, we are like a rock where we're, we're getting battered, beaten from all sides. You're like, I'm still standing. I'm still whole. You haven't, you haven't fractured me or broken me one bit, Satan. I'm still here. And to cr- contrast that scripture and that image, we have Isaiah chapter 57. It says in verse 20, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And this is, this is a person who is not in this peace that surpasses understanding. Getting tossed back and forth by the waves, not the rock that stands firm, but everything on top of the water that's just getting tossed back and forth. There's no rest. There is no peace when we are not in the peace of God. And this was Jesus on the cross, right? This scripture, his, his walk to Calvary, that road was not a restful walk. He was getting thrown about left and right. And in the final moment, he cried out and he gave up his peace. That wholeness, that perfection that he had, he gave it up so that we could be made whole. And when you think about that, and when you thank God for that, you will love God for that, regardless of your current circumstances. And in closing, I want to tell a story. Some of you may know this man, Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford was a lawyer and Christian in Chicago in the late 1800s. And Horatio and his wife and his four daughters, in November 1875, they were about to board a ship to, uh, to go over to Europe for a vacation. They needed to get away. And last minute, he needed, to, uh, he needed to tend to some business needs. And so he sent his wife and his four girls on ahead of him. And unfortunately, en route, th- their ship was struck by another ship. And all four of the daughters drowned. And the wife was found on some of the, wreck- the debris from the wreckage. 
She was taken to Europe, brought back to health, and she cabled him two words, saved alone. And when he got this message, he immediately got on the ship and went over there. And in the middle of the ocean, the captain of the boat called him up and explained to him, this is where it happened. This is where your four daughters drowned. This is where the the wreck happened. And upon hearing that, he sat down and he wrote a hymn. And these are the words from one of the lines of his hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. This man, he was in horrific circumstances. He had a life of trouble in this moment. But when you read those lines, you see a man thinking, thanking, and loving himself into the peace of God. What are you anxious about? What's coming up in the next week, the next month, that stresses you out? In your current circumstances, however crazy or calm they may be, if you choose to think about God, thank God, and love God, you will experience the peace that surpasses understanding. You will no longer be fractured by anxiety, but made whole and complete in the presence of Jehovah Shalom. Thank you, guys. I love you. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.